The Thrive Global Podcast is a production of Thrive Global and iHeartRadio. And as tough love sometimes as that sounds, I do think we can choose our thoughts. We can't choose what comes into our mind, but we can choose what we dwell on. And we can also choose what we let inside our spirit and our heart. Hello, I'm Arianna Huffington, and welcome to the Thrive Global Podcast. Each week, we are having candid conversations with top business leaders, celebrities, athletes, and influencers to explore how they go from surviving to thriving, and how you can, too. Our guest today always knew music was her future. Kimberly Perry started her first band as a young teen, performing in her hometown in Mississippi. Then, in 2005, she formed the band Perry with her brothers Reed and Neil. After being discovered by Garth Brooks' manager, the trio released their first album in 2010, which quickly rose up the charts. Their hit, If I Die Young, was the CMA Song of the Year and number one on the Billboard country charts. Now, the country-turned-pop band is releasing new and much more personal music. And today, she'll share how she recharges on the road, what she's learned about being resilient, and how she's living a good life. Welcome, Kimberly. So glad to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. The band Paris comprised of your brothers and you. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that. What is it like working with your family all the time? And tell us about your brothers. Well, this is my favorite question that I always get asked. And I really love it when they're not around because then it's just, <laughs> you know, get to give my opinion about it. I'm the oldest in the family. I'm five years older than our middle brother. His name is Reed. He has the best hair in the family. That's everybody else's opinion, not just mine, which hurts my feelings sometimes. <laughs> And then I'm seven years older than the baby in our family. His name is Neil. And the very first show we ever played, Neil was five years old on the drum kit. And Reed was eight. Uh, He played the bass in the band. And I was a lead singer. I was 15 when we got started. It's just been a life of pursuing a dream and everything that comes along with that. I'm so grateful to have family to do it with because music, really anything that requires a lot of emotion and heart and mental space and heart space. I can't imagine people who do it without family because in the most challenging moments, you know, we like have each other's back, but then we know each other so well that we can also like challenge each other to be our best selves all the time. And whether that's being your most healthy self, whether that's just being your most creative self. So it's this perfect balance of encouraging each other, but challenging each other. And I really have grown to appreciate our relationship more and more over the years. It's really special. And I read that you were signed as a Christian artist. When I graduated from high school, yes, I had been leading a worship band. It was funny. I was like leading a worship band on Sundays, but like playing rock and roll on Saturdays. So (laughs) we grew up on like everything from Queen to Janis Joplin was like my favorite first like soulful singer. So we never really were like a respecter of genres in our household, did a lot of everything. But yeah, my very first deal was with Forefront Records and we actually never put a song out. The label folded into a sister company, which I think was a blessing in disguise. Looking back, I had no idea. (laughs) I was like still really figuring out my creative voice. So lots of blessings in disguise. But were you brought up with a spiritual upbringing? 
Was your family religious or spiritual? Yes, more spiritual than religious. My father's father was a preacher down south. And so, yes, our faith has always been very much intertwined into who we are and what we do. There was a moment as we were growing up, though, where it was funny because some of the churches that we would attend didn't really understand all the time, like the fact that we would play in bars until 2 a.m. But for us, it was definitely like a part of our purpose because we were created to make music and we really learned how to love people through that and offer like encouragement through that. And so it didn't always get understood inside the church, but our family kind of became our own version of church. You know, we were there to like support each other and pray for each other and hold each other accountable. And so that became another really special element that our family was very bonded over together. And do you still pray? I do. I do. I love to um, throughout the day, but certainly start my mornings in that way. And this past year was a very challenging year for me. And so one thing that I did was sort of turned my meditation into prayer time. But it was a very different way than I had experienced meditation or prayer before. It was like so much more real. I did a lot of visualization even through it. And it was just such an amazing experience and really helped me process a lot of the past year. In terms of your personal life. Yes. The end of your marriage. Yes. So tell us about it. It was a very interesting thing. You know, I've always been pretty self-confident, you know. I think in some respects you have to be that to be able to get on to a stage. To be a performer, and, yeah. And do what you do. And even as a high schooler and a middle school kid, so many stories of bullies in kids' lives, I definitely had my own version of that and story of that. But for whatever reason, even in middle and high school, just never cracked my sense of self. I've never been a self-defender. Not that I just sit and take it, but I just sort of didn't let it in, you know, and so it didn't affect me as much emotionally as a kid. But it was a very interesting scenario to live in a home where the air was toxic and where words that were used to sort of break down self-esteem and to gain control, it was the first time that I had ever let it inside because it was like my heart was open. I was in love. It's your household. I had just never experienced anything like that before. You were not barricaded and protected. at all and chose not to be, which I'm proud of, of that. You know, I'm proud of the vulnerability to be able to accept somebody and let somebody in. But for the first time ever, and I think it happened before I even knew it, the fact that that was let inside, it definitely cracked my sense of self. And I let all of the negativity and, you know, just words like sticks and stones do break. Words really do hurt too, though. For the first time in my life as a grown woman, I let that inside. And so once I left that environment and read recognized the crime that was happening in my own home and got out of it, it took a solid year to year and a half to really regain a sense of confidence and self-love and self-care. And that meditation was a, a big part of that. And how long did it take before you decided to leave, before you fully realized how toxic it was? That's a really good question. 
it was probably about a year. I was married for five years in total. And the last year, there were a lot of personal challenges for us both. Careers were changing. I caught a lot of the brunt of that from a person that I was in the relationship with. So it was about a year. The thing that I noticed the most was that I couldn't do my music in the same way. I love music. Like I said earlier, it's been our lives ever since we were kids. But for the first time ever, I couldn't write in the same way. I didn't want to stay at the studio because it just felt sleepy and depressed and just couldn't do my creative work in the same way. That was the moment when the people around me really noticed family, very close friends, hey, what's going on? You need to go speak to a therapist about what's happening and let her sort of help you make a decision about what needs to happen now. After my first therapy session, I loved it because we were just getting to know each other. I poured out my entire life at her footsteps. She said something interesting to me. She was like, you know what? I don't feel like I'm hearing your feelings. I hear facts from you. And these facts are telling me, like, get out, get out of the environment, go unpack this, see if it's something that you want to work through and if it can get better. But just take yourself out of the pressure situation for a second, which is what I decided to do. And did you actually move out? What did you do? I did, yes. I was living in Los Angeles at the moment. With and, your husband? Yes. Just decided to take a break. And my mission at that point was to go to counseling together, but definitely go to counseling solo as well and to really understand what I was feeling and why I was feeling this particular way. And it was in that process and working through all of that with my therapist and with friends and family faith, that's when I sort of discovered other things that were happening. And it just felt like the right moment then to go, this is not going to be something that we can fix. It was a hard reality to come to for me. But it's a very brave thing to do because we all know people who, in the end, don't have the guts to leave a toxic relationship or a toxic work environment. Mm -hmm. And it gets harder and harder if you don't Take the action. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, Crest 3D White. And we are back with the Thrive Global podcast. Let's rejoin the conversation. I think the hardest thing for me, because I'm a planner, I have my life all mapped out or did. <laughs> I thought I did. And so for me, it was about even as much as losing a relationship, it was about losing a plan and losing time. Mm. And so that was really the first thing that I had to tackle coming out of that was, I mean, this was all mapped out. What now? For a second, that took me to an extremely dark place, if I'm being totally honest. But again, thankfully, I had a great circle around me helping me work through that. And I found that it was important for me to be brutally honest about what I was feeling about that not having a plan in my darkest moment. And I'm grateful that I shared that with people because they really became a, a lifeline and, and came around to make sure that I got healthy again. And did the plan include having children? It did, <laughs> which was hard. So the first thing that I did, yeah, was go to a, a fertility clinic after it was over and froze, did an egg freeze. And I was really like, it felt like I was keeping options open. Yes. And me having options, I decided that's the most important thing for me to feel. That was so helpful and just moving forward. Yeah, to feel empowered again. Yes. 
And uh, also, in my case, I had my first child at 38 and my second at 40. Really? That's beautiful. And it's great to have the additional option of frozen yes. eggs. So yes. there's no pressure about the biological clock. Right. It makes you not have to make bad decisions. Exactly. You know? so exactly. But I love the fact that you channeled what you went through through mm-hmm. your music and uh, the good life yes. that was in a way a product of what you went through, yes. which I'm sure must have been very cathartic, <laughs> uh, but also helping so many people. I love what you said about it, that the good life is a story about the infidelity I experienced. I want you to know that song was written during a toxic and incredibly difficult time in my life. But I'm singing it to you now with the voice of a woman who has completely regained a strong sense of self, rebuilt her womanhood, and is grateful to have learned so much. Mm-hmm. I wanted to read that because I think it's such a hopeful statement, kind of acknowledging all yes. you went through, the dark times, but also seeing how you came through and now you're sharing it. Yeah, I think it's so important to see a silver lining, but for others who are right in the middle of the toxic air to know that that is a real thing, that there is hope and light moving forward. The very first iteration of the song was written right in the middle of the moment of darkness for me. On one hand, it's really interesting because it was written, the melody and the lyrics, right in a moment of like feeling that at its most potent. But I didn't record the final vocal until a year later. Later, I had done all of the work to move from that moment to a brighter spot. And so it it was crazy because writing it felt almost sad, but then singing it felt empowered. And I think that that, you know, hopefully came through in the performance. That's beautiful. I, I think it definitely did, even without knowing the history. Thank you. And also, without preaching to young women in a way you are telling them the other choices. Right. And have you had a lot of women reach out to you with their stories? Yeah, there were some amazing stories that I got just in my direct messages, either, to be honest, some who were still living in an abusive environment or some who are a few years past leaving that but are still struggling with the emotional fallout uh, and toil that that just put on them in their life and for some of them with their kids. And my heart just went out, first of all, just for the honesty to be able to share your story with other women. It feels like there's strength in numbers, and I think that we can really learn from each other but also encourage each other and so many of them were encouraging to me just after the song came out but for me I think the thing that I really needed to learn a couple of things first of all because I am such a planner sometimes (laughs) I believe that that's what caused me to get into this relationship in the first place. I was 30 years old when I got married. And so I was very much like, okay, we got like time is ticking, like got to get married. We got to get on with babies. But there were even some early red flags that I probably overlooked for the sake of hitting a timeline. And so that's one big lesson Mm. that I learned is like, relax, let life bring you the right things we don't have to force. And so that was a big lesson that I learned. But also on the other side of that, sometimes we get into things with the best intentions and plans change, and that's okay too. There's always something better than staying in something that's unhealthy for you and making you feel like less than the person that you are. And so there can be new plans. Just got to get healthy and take care of yourself. 
I love that. I have a little saying on my desk that says, life is a dance between making it happen and letting it happen. Totally. 100%. And sometimes, you know, those of us who are driven and ambitious, which is great, right. all great, think we have to make everything happen and we have to do it according to a plan and yes. a timetable. So that's a great lesson for all of us, including me, to kind of be reminded of that. Absolutely. At Thrive, we talk about micro steps, like that change often happens uh, not through big New Year resolutions, right. which we tend to break after three weeks, but right through small daily steps that begin to change our habits and mm. make us healthier in every way. So you already mentioned prayer yes. and visualization as what we would call a micro step. Right. Was there anything else? Were there any other habits that helped you in this transition? I think for me too, it was both of those things. And what I spent my meditation and, and prayer doing, it was sort of like regaining my sense of, wait, why am I even here? You know, sometimes <laughs> when you go through trauma and a bit of a tragic situation, you start to define like the rest of your life by that. How will I move past it? So one of the micro steps for me was just to really let it sink in. Like, my life is not defined by this moment. This is just a moment. And really letting that sink in and focusing on that. And for me, too, it was about talking to my family and friends who were surrounding me, getting really honest with that. Honesty and communication just to the people who love you the most and surround you. That was, on one hand, the hardest thing for me because... I've spent a lot of my life as somebody who felt like they really had it together. Um, <laughs> and it was hard to not have it together at all in those moments. But it was so helpful to talk to the people around you that love you and that loved me to go like, hey, I know why you're here. Like your life is beautiful. You have a good life. You're born to do beautiful things. I've known that about you for years life is bigger than this moment. That was on one hand a micro step. And one thing that I did every day, just had to talk through that. But one of the biggest steps as well, mm -hmm. just to regain that sense and let people pour that into you. I think vulnerability was very important for me and communication with a vulnerable and open heart. So what is interesting is that the question of what it means to live a good life has been at the heart of every philosophy and yes. spiritual tradition. And in our culture, we've tended to reduce a good life often just to success, mm. you know, money yes. and power and fame. And and I think what you're saying in a way through the song and through what you're saying here is that there's more to life yes. than that. Absolutely. I think in my opinion and the way that I feel about a good life, at least for me at this juncture, it's defined by peace and simplicity, minimalism. There's this thing that, that I read when I was going through all this. It was like, you know, you have two choices always in front of you. You can choose destruction and you can choose mm. the opposite of peace, or you can choose life. You can choose soundness and peace, but it is a choice. And as tough love sometimes as that sounds, I do think we can choose our thoughts. We can't choose what comes into our mind, but we can mm -hmm. choose what we dwell on. And we can also choose what we let inside our spirit and our heart. And sometimes if we're in an environment where negativity is just being thrown at us, 
just choosing to not let that sink in and also to remove ourselves from that. That to me is part of choosing life. Yeah, I'm just all about peace these days. That, but also then what you offer other people as well. It's not just about what you let inside. But the thing that I learned the most was I know what I will and won't allow from people again. But more than that, I know how I will and will not treat another person, you know? Exactly, because, because you, you had that it. experience yeah. yourself. And also, I think what you are showing is that peace is actually a very dynamic state. People think of peace as being like lying on the couch right. or something, but it's not. I mean, right. you can be in the middle of a big performance yes. or um, thousands of people and have peace in your heart. You can. You can. And it's a choice. And the place I learned that pretty in a performance, we were doing the Grammys one year. And I remember, okay, it was so terrifying because Paul McCartney is like on the front row. I'm a massive Beatles fan. I couldn't even believe <laughs> I got to be in the same room. I remember we were like 10 seconds away from cutting back to air. My brothers and I would start playing in like 10 seconds. And my in-ear monitors were not working, meaning I couldn't hear the band. I couldn't hear myself sing. 10 seconds away. Paul McCartney's here. It's the Grammys. And in the past, I would have had like a tendency to really get super anxious, but I knew I was not going to be able to perform unless I chilled out. And so in the last 10 seconds, I just literally chose peace. I was like, this is going to work out for me. I know it is, and I'm not going to worry about it. And Literally, as the wall was coming up, the in-ears kicked on. But because I had chosen to just like have a calm moment as opposed to freaking out, (laughs) which is my nature, the freak out would be more my nature. It just was a beautiful moment. And I learned so much. I learned so much in that spot. That's beautiful. That's (laughs) such a great moment because at that precise second, you didn't really have a choice to fix it. Like it was too close to... No control. Uh, yeah, no you control. didn't have any control. Yeah. So you, the only control you had was over your own attitude. Correct. And that so often happens in life. You yes. know, there are times there are things we can control and things we can't, but we can decide how we feel about it. And I find that especially women, I have two daughters. I see it in them. I see it in myself. You know, we have this voice in our head often that judges us, that doubts us. And I mean, men have it too. Sure. But ours seems to be louder. Mm -hmm. And I call it the obnoxious roommate living in my head. (laughs) How do you counter it? How do you deal with that obnoxious roommate? That's a really good question. Again, I feel like I've probably been challenged by her more over the past year than ever before, more conscious about it. For me, I think it's about knowing my true self despite what she says. And again, I don't mean to harp on like choices, but I do think that there's some like active ways that we can just go, you know what, of course there's this temptation or this crazy little person on my shoulder telling me something about myself that I know is not true and I love who I am, I love what I bring, I love what I look like, you know, whatever that is, it's just choosing to go like, despite that, I know who I am and really keeping that sense of self. One thing that I learned in my therapy, which was just such a healthy thing for me, I had never done it before in my life, she goes, you know, we have inside of us the child Kimberly and then we have the adult Kimberly. And sometimes the child Kimberly is going to get anxious. She's going to hate certain things about herself. She's going to question everything. And that's when the adult Kimberly can come in and go like, you're going to be fine. You know, you're <laughs> going to be fine. You know who you are. Trust me, I'm over here. I see you. That was kind of an interesting way to change the inner dialogue. That was helpful for me. 
And uh, related with that is your song, Done. Yes. <laughs> which I absolutely love. First Thank of you. all, I love the word, done. Thank it's you. Like, it's very powerful. Done, period, yeah. Done, period. Yeah. You can say it about relationships. You can say it about work. Yes. You can even say it about a project, right. anything that you don't want to continue with. So right. how did that word come to be the title of the song? I love it when I give them credit for this. My brothers <laughs> actually wrote Done without me in the room, but we were kind of going through a real shared experience. It was one of the challenging moments for us in music, more the music business side of things. And I remember we were all feeling this moment of like, you know what? I've poured into this. I'm kind of done with the whole thing. <laughs> we're putting out this music. We're going to do it our way. And it was really us just being adamant about like knowing exactly where we stood on a particular situation and sticking by our guns, if you will, and just going like, we know exactly how we feel about this and we're going to put up boundaries and we're just going to do it our way, which is why mm. we did the title all caps with the period. Oh, yeah, I love that. Thank you. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, Crest 3D White. And we are back with the Thrive Global Podcast. Let's rejoin the conversation. And, you know, when you are touring, it sometimes must be particularly hard to mm-hmm. sort of stay connected to yourself, to recharge, to refuel. At Thrive, we're obsessed with recharging and yeah. refueling because we believe in working hard, in pouring yourself into what you do, but then taking time to refuel before you get sick or... yes angry or all the emotions that are easier to flourish inside us when we're exhausted. So tell us some of your tips and techniques of how you do it on the road, because you're on the road so many days every year and nights. We don't get the bubble baths on the road. Yeah, when I'm at home, that's my favorite way to unwind. Can't you carry bubble bath with you for the hotel? I love to listen to classical music. Sometimes for me, just getting all the words out of a song or even like some of the more aggressive, vibrant sounds that I love about pop music. But when I'm needing to get centered, Mm. it's about the simplicity of a string section or piano music on all of the streaming apps. There's some great playlists that just have peaceful piano (laughs) mood. You know, you have a favorite like that. My favorite composer is Chopin. I was a classically trained pianist as a kid, and I just always really loved his work. It's kind of dark, but, you know, we love those threads through our own music. Even if I'm running, like my brother's running is also another thing for me. We'll try to hit six to nine miles a few times a week. And I love the idea of just like turning off my brain, getting to be an animal for a second, like just moving. But also I'll always listen to classical or piano then too. My brother, Neil, he's like listening to hip hop. And I'm like over (laughs) here just being like very zen about the run. But you like jogging together. We do. Yeah, mostly because we get like competitive in a way that's like one more mile, guys, one more mile. So it's nice to have that accountability. But it's also nice to put the earbuds in and kind of like find my own little space. I think quiet is really, really important for me on the road, wherever we can find that. And what makes you smile? Ooh, food. I'm a big foodie. (laughs) Food, like favorite foods? 
Oh, I mean, so many different genres of food. Mexican food would probably be our favorite, my favorite. But we also, if we're like touring in big cities, we love to find the Michelin three stars and like kind of dissect the dishes. My brother Reed and I love to cook together too. I don't know. We just love ingredients. We love farm to table. It's such a fascinating thing to think about just where it grew on the land. And that just feels so like grounded and interesting. And then how it made its way to our plate. We geek out on it. Like I'm very very much in love with food and the whole process of And do you actually cook a lot or not? I'm better at baking and I've discovered I'm a very impatient person when I bake because it's almost like chemistry with ingredients and that's the place where I have to do a lot of self-reflection is in my baking about my patience. <laughs> yes, it's a hard thing to be impatient about. <laughs> yes. Tell me about your routine. Like, I know you don't have a routine because you're on the road so much, yes. but you try to create early morning and winding down routines that help you with your day or your sleep. Yes. Let's start with the winding down. I like the wind down. That's one of my favorites. If it's the weekend, I love to wind down with a glass of red wine. I call red wine like the coffee of the nighttime, you know, <laughs> get to have your caffeine in the a.m. and your red wine in p.m. And I really do love a good bath with bath salts or bubbles. Mm. I don't know what it is about that. I love to like just light candles. It's a time when I mentally I get to decompress, think through the day. If I'm stuck on like a lyric, it seems to be the place that it finally comes to me. I think there's just for me a lot about quiet, personal time. And I really do love to start the day and end the day with that. Oh, you start the day when you're at home with a bath too? A steam shower. Oh, wow, great. Yeah. So it's just like take a good 20 minutes, yes. you know, like be good to yourself. And I like to sort of ease into the day. Love my morning coffee. And then we'll do a run and then we'll do a steam shower after that. So it's to me, it's just about like feeling good for the day. Yes. Um, and just getting yourself like really in tune. That's when I found I'm the most productive and the most creative with the eight hours a day I spend on work. If I've taken my time in the morning mm -hmm. to really get tuned into myself. I totally agree with you. I never have breakfast meetings. Yeah, I think they're no, brutal. Totally. I want my morning, you know, to really be my morning yes. with, I like my stationary bike and uh, my meditation. And then I feel I'm ready for the day. And don't you find you can be so much more productive So much more productive. Day, taking that time. So at night after you wind down, how many hours of sleep do you need? Okay, I need seven to eight. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of times it's about six and a half to seven. My body does adjust to whatever I'm needing it to do based on a certain timeline. But I always get in my evening wind down. Sleep is, I don't know, I'm not like cranky if I get less than seven, but seven would be the sweet spot. Yes. Be well, maybe that's spot. what you need. Most people, unless they have a genetic mutation and they yeah. don't need a lot of sleep, need seven to nine. Yes. I'm an eight-hour girl, and when yeah. I get eight hours, it's like, bring it on, right. whatever, I can deal with it. If it's a lot less, I'm not right. the best version of totally. myself. I'm with you. Sometimes, yeah, if it's less than seven, I at least try to take an afternoon nap. Nap, perfect. I love my naps. Me yeah. too. Love them. We have a nap pod in the office, Do too. You really? And we encourage people, if they're tired, they didn't get enough sleep, they're jet-lagged, just go take a 20-minute nap. Yeah. Winston Churchill called them power naps, totally. and he won the Second World War, so there's totally. something good about that. Whatever that guy was doing, you know, I love it. 
So what about your relationship with your phone and technology? Mm. How addicted are you? I am not addicted at all. I do social media because everybody tells me I need to, but I actually don't like it. My brother, Neil, he's a few years younger than me. He's obsessed. And all the time I'm going like, boy, put your phone, like we're at dinner, put your phone down. I do feel like I've been pretty good about not getting lost in it. You know, sometimes because we travel all the time, it's nice to like keep up with friends who are on different coasts or back home if we're away from home. But even still, I try to like pick up the phone and at least have a conversation with them versus just observe their life through Instagram or something like that. (laughs) Do you sleep? with your phone? I sleep with it on the nightstand, but mainly just for the the alarm clock in the morning, which is always a rude So, you know, I'm sending you a little phone bed. Yes. A um, phone bed. I love it. Which is like a charging station that looks like a phone bed. Amazing. And my hope is that it's going to live outside your bedroom. So at night you put your phone there and uh, it charges because it's a charging station, right. but you put it under the bed covers. You that. say good night because we all love a little ritual. Yes. And then you reconnect in the morning. The reason why we found this works and we created these little phone beds is because if you wake up in the middle of the night for whatever reason and you can't go immediately back to sleep, very often we are tempted if the phone is right on the nightstand yes. to go there and Then we interrupt that night recharging time. That's amazing. And I'm going to send you a beautiful alarm clock. Thank you. (laughs) Meanwhile, I don't have to use the phone for that. So you don't have to use the phone. The other temptation for me in the morning with the phone, though, and I've really had to, by instinct, the first thing I want to do is wake up and check email. Yes. And so I've really forced myself to go, okay, if we're looking at the phone first thing in the morning, let's at least read something inspirational do a devotion, let's read a proverb, like something to just go, okay, let me focus on this part of my day, like the heart space, the healthy mental space before checking email. But that's been a learned discipline. And so important though, so because important. also you don't know what's in your email. You don't know. I just want the it first thing of the anything. day to and be... You don't want to start with yeah. that. You can deal with anything half an hour later totally. or even a minute later because we believe in micro steps we say just take one minute yes, <laughs> before you go to your phone let the first thing that you put into your mind and heart just let it be something still peaceful yes. encouraging yeah something you're grateful for your intention yes. for the day anything yes and what do you think about the phenomenon in concerts of a sea of people holding up phones are people so focused on documenting the experience mm-hmm. rather than having the experience? Right. I've always wondered, what is it like for a performer? I have mixed emotions about this because on one hand, I love to look after a show, like get on social media and see videos that people posted because I feel like on one hand, it shares the experience with yeah, a lot of the fans who aren't there. And that feels cool. But Some nights we'll get off the stage and I'll notice there's only a couple videos floating around. And what I loved about that was there was something about that night that made them feel very much drawn into the moment and drawn into Mm. the the experience. So I don't mind when they get to share it past the bubble of the room that was there that night. But it's always special, too, to go like, okay, something about tonight really drew people in. I feel like we have both experiences sometimes. And would you ever request that people leave their phones at the door as some performers are starting to do or ask them to maybe take videos for 10 minutes and then not. Right. I think the way, yeah, I would probably handle that would just be to say, 
like you said, like kind of encourage them to be present yes. and be a part of the night. Because sometimes I think it's so habitual for us, we don't even think about it. And so sometimes I know if somebody just says to me like, hey, put your phone down, be here with me. It's just because I haven't thought about it. Maybe that's probably the way that we would handle it from stage. I always wonder sometimes with the phone bags it shows, I'm always worried like somebody's kid's going to call or something like that. Um, but I, I love the idea of encouraging people just like, hey, let's be right here in this moment together. Everything else can wait. We can deal with it after the next hour and a half, you know. <laughs> and social media. It's obviously an amazing tool. As you mm -hmm. said, it helps you stay connected with yes. friends when you are not together. It helps you stay connected with your fans. But it can also be very intrusive and often very negative. I yes. mean, are you affected by negative comments? I get very affected by it, in so much so that in the early days, even not early, most recent days, I can read a hundred really nice comments and then one really awful comment. And that's the one that for me, I'm just, I'll think about it. And so I've given myself this rule where it's like, I can put up the picture, I can enjoy the likes, but I don't really read the comments because I don't have thick skin and I don't want to have thick skin. You know, I think as a creative, it's my job to stay sensitive and to feel things and be able to communicate that. My brother, Neil, has really thick skin. So he'll just like check them all. And I'm like, if anything is getting crazy on here, you let me know. But I've just kind of given myself that rule to not really go through the comments. People are going to say what they are going to say, regardless of whether or not you let it in. So I just play it on the safe side emotionally with that stuff. I love that. It's such a great note to end on because it's, again, about the theme of our conversation, which is choices. Yes, you yes. know, you can choose to let everything in totally. <laughs> or you can choose to decide what are the boundaries yes. that work for you in your life. And I'm just so happy so many people who admire you and love you are going to listen to that and maybe take something for themselves and for their own lives that we don't have to be at the mercy of everything coming our way. Exactly. You're 100% right. We so much discussion about the environment and everything that we're doing to trash it. There's also that emotional environment that we get to clean up for ourselves and really protect and guard. Exactly. Our daily inner environment. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank I'm you. so excited that we had the chance to talk and that so many other people are going to learn from you as well as love your music. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you. It's been an honor. Thank you for listening today. We hope you heard something that inspires and empowers you. Be sure to follow the Thrive Global podcast on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at thriveglobal.com or reach out on social media using the hashtag ThrivePodcast. Tell us who you'd like to hear from and what your favorite micro steps are. Until next time, be well and thrive. This podcast is a production of Thrive Global and iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Ariana Huffington. Thrive Global is produced by Sandy Smolens and mixed by Matt Noble at Audiation Studios in Bronxville, New York. Thank you to Lindsay Benoit O'Connell for booking and wrangling our wonderful guests and for providing editorial oversight. Derek Clement is our engineer, and special thanks to Nikki Itor and Kari Lieberman. See you next week. Audiation.